0: Welcome to the Joan Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Wittengel. Joan is a place of truth and connection, a place to discuss mental health, trauma, struggle, and the many difficulties brought to us in life. Through my own journey, I struggled to open up with others about my difficult life experiences. But once I did, I began to see that everyone is on their own journey in one way or another. This podcast has taught me so much. But most importantly, it has taught me that vulnerable connection through storytelling is one of the most powerful ways that we heal ourselves, heal each other, and thus heal the world. I'm so honored that the guests of this show have trusted me to bring their stories to you. And so I hope you enjoy the second season of Joan. Today, I'm speaking with my friend Zoe. Um, This is such a beautiful episode. I actually cry at one point during this episode. She, um, really walks us in like in, in high detail through the process of losing her mother, who was her best friend, um, to cancer. And then, you know, what the grief process looked like, um, after that, um, we dig into what the meaning of, of home is, um, into the denial that one experiences when 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 going through um, such a big loss, and um, and then we also dive into um, her incredible business, which you may have heard of, called Wonder Workshop, and we talk about mushrooms and adaptogens and all that fun stuff. So, um, I hope that you love this episode. <music> And yeah. I am chatting with my friend Zoe, who. Right. How did we meet? I, I, was it through Jen? Um,
1: I, well, I think so. Um, then, yeah, you reached out to me. Um, I think it was on Instagram, oh, <laughs> but okay. through Jen. And then I think we met at Electric for a um, breakfast or something.
0: Oh, we yeah. For oh, a yeah. While. oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Okay. I think, yeah. <laughs> Um, and if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself with all of your hats that you wear. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, my name is Zoe and I am 31 years old and I live in London and have two small businesses. One's called Wonder Workshop and another one is Essentials by Zoe LVH. And I spend about 99% of my time on Wonder Workshop. <laughs> so Do you? Yeah. Yeah. it's it's very hard I always feel I always plan to spend more time on the other one but it's a social enterprise and it luckily kind of runs by itself and pays off all the things so Mm. it's just I mean I'd love to spend more time on it but yeah Wonder Workshop is is my bigger baby and requires a lot of attention
0: which is amazing um, and we'll get into like what what that is because I've been Consuming super chaga every day and I love it. Yay. <laughs> um, so, what we're essentially, Zoe and I were just chatting, and what essentially we're going to be covering today is um, I mean, I think we'll see where this conversation takes us, but is mostly kind of um, the passing of her mother, whom she was really close with. And um, and, like, the grief and and what came along with that. So I always like to start in childhood. So yeah. I always forget, you are, like, you seriously are, like, a child of the world, because I feel like you, <laughs> right? Because you kind of spent, you spent time in Australia, but you were born in, in the Netherlands, is yeah. that right?
1: No, well, other way around. I was born okay. in Australia. Oh. And I lived there until I was two. Um, but um, my parents divorced when I was... Well, when I was one or two. So my mom and I moved back to the Netherlands, where she was from originally. And I lived there until I was six. And then I moved to Germany at six. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my mixture of my three languages and my accents. <laughs> Although there's no Australian accent, that's for sure. <laughs> but um, yeah, more of the German and Dutch side of me. And um, so yeah, I grew up. Um, well I went back a lot to Australia as a child so I definitely right. have a lot of belonging there and connection to nature there so I, I do call that a home and my godmothers live there so yeah it's right. definitely part of me.
0: What do you consider like do you associate yourself more with one country or do you like do you feel like one place is most home to you?
1: Um, It's kind of a it's a tricky question and I think it's it comes up a lot especially since my mum died because I'd always said that wherever she was was kind of like home you know I always had my room with well Mm -hmm. had a room in our house and obviously I felt so much belonging to her that that was always my home and since then it's been a bit of a, a journey um which is fine, like, it's not like I'm suffering, not trying to understand where I'm from, but it's, I always associate myself most with, with the Netherlands,
0: and mm. it was
1: quite a fun, funny experience, because I went there to do my master's, um, five years ago, and I hadn't been, well, I hadn't lived there since I was six, so, I, kind of my whole life, proudly, I was telling everyone, yeah, I'm Dutch, like, I'm most Dutch, and then, I, I moved to the Netherlands for a year and people were all like where are you from you're not, you're not Dutch like you sound weird or no you're you're not Dutch and it, I mean Dutch are very very direct anyway so mm-hmm. it was very quite. I was just like no I am Dutch and, um so yeah it made me re- rethink all of that and I mean yeah I feel I don't know I guess wherever wherever I feel happy and and weirdly, that's late. Well, two years ago, I discovered, um, Mallorca, the island. That's right. And, uh, um, there's just a one part of it where uh, I have been a couple of times, and I've never felt this kind of belonging before. Wow. And I have butterflies in my belly. I have there, and it really feels like
0: I'm wow. in love.
1: And yeah, so my plan, well, the last two years, my plan is to move there and it's it's still in the making.
0: I know you kind um, of, I remember you talking about that, like doing that yeah. kind of part. You you went for a little while.
1: Yeah, I went for six weeks by myself. Um, I mean, that's also part of kind of wanting to, to grieve and be alone and also just mm. be independent because um, I, I work together with my boyfriend. So mm-hmm. it's important for me to always find some time alone in nature Mm -hmm. and I thought okay let's try it in my yoga and and it was so beautiful so yeah we're both very keen to move there soon so that's that's definitely in the making great
0: love that um okay so let's move to I guess talking about your mom unless you feel like there's anything in between what we just talked about and because how long so how long ago was it that your mom passed?
1: Uh, four and a half years now. So I was uh, twenty-six,
0: and, and and how long was yeah, she guess, sick for before she um, died? Only a
1: year. It was exactly a year, really. Oh wow! I mean, wow. they said that because she had a metastatic cancer, uh, um, and the doctors said by the size of the well, judging by the size of the tumors, that she already had it for eight years, but she never experienced any, you know, symptoms or whatever yeah she never felt anything
0: wow. and it's just
1: by by well I don't know coincidence or luck or No, not luck really but going to the doctor that they were like oh wow there are um, tumours throughout your body and this wow. is always quite an interesting topic for me is that the fact that the moment she got that news she lost like 10 kilograms of weight within a month and it's so interesting to see how mm. fear and, and worries, it's maybe far more dangerous than the actual tumours mm. that, you know, of course, in the end, that all came together. But I've always wondered, like, if she hadn't had that diagnosis, like, would she have died within a year? Because right. I think there was so much fear that was more, yeah, more dangerous for her situation. So, yeah, it was uh, one year, really, that it took. um, And it's, yeah, crazy to think how one goes from healthy, strong, well, strong and vulnerable woman to very fragile Mm. and
0: scared. Yeah, so tell me, I'm curious now that we're talking about her, um, I'm curious (laughs) about, like, your guys' life together because I know that you are, like, a little child of the earth, which I would love to talk more about because honestly, and again, I keep saying we'll, we'll get into wonder workshop and all of that. But I see you as someone who has like the utmost highest integrity for yourself, for your products that you put out there for the earth and just for other okay. humans, which I think is just such an amazing quality. And um, and I know, I, at least I believe you, you kind of took after your mom in that sense right like she was yeah. she was into mushrooms as you are and into the earth and <laughs> herbs and all of that totally. stuff right
1: yeah so our upbringing was I guess not very conventional our upbringing my upbringing wasn't very conventional like I it was just the two of us living together and she would take me foraging from well, whatever age I can think really and um, we would grow our own vegetables and I was brought up fully vegetarian. And she was doing yoga every morning, and I don't know, like it, the whole house was filled with interesting books that, luckily now I've 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 all got access to, and I'm really into them. And they're mm. so, I mean, it's it's from pyramids to crystals to mushrooms to I don't know what, but it's all so interesting, and I love I I love it so much, and I guess that was very much part of me as a child, and I'm really finding I, I think a way back to that time because um, obviously well, not obviously, but like puberty, hormones, university, all these things that kind of distract you from, at least for me, that distracted me from my true self. And I love thinking back to, yeah, my childhood and all the values that I really received from her, like, now I understand things like why I had to have short showers or like not leave the lights on or I don't know, like not use waste paper or always carry a tote bag. I mean, all these things that one talks about now, like they were very much, yeah, very important as a child, like care about the earth and yeah. friends and people and,
0: yeah. Yeah, so yeah. in a lot of ways she was kind of like ahead of, a bit ahead of her time.
1: Yeah, I guess... In some ways it was, but I feel like there was such a movement as well in the 70s. That's true, and,
0: that's true. And
1: earlier on even, like the books that I have, they are from that time. And they they really, they say the same things that we're talking about today. And, and they, like, I actually found a book the other day and it was all about pesticides and industrial agriculture, how it's kind of killing soil and the earth. So it's, it's always been out there, but I think, yeah, social media and media generally, at least in that way it's positive it, it's, it can accelerate that message more quickly now than it did back then you know back then she was kind of I guess seen as the typical hippie or um, you know part of a smaller community that fought that way and mm-hmm. um, now it's more I guess you could say mainstream <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. and um, yeah so it was always there
0: but so yeah. so um. So what was your timeline from there? So you, you you were living with her and then you moved out to go to, to university, right?
1: Yeah, so when I was uh, 18, I moved to uh, Manchester in the UK to study um, political science and criminology. <laughs> Very random. Um, at least it seems random now. And um, yeah, my mum, she stayed in Germany. And I think for her, it was very difficult and I don't think I fully considered that at that time that you know it was always those the two of us and suddenly I moved out and I mean I guess it's quite normal but yeah I think she she really struggled with that and all of those emotions really came up during her when when she was very ill that that loneliness oh, really? and fear yeah and it was never in a way that I you know I, I haven't felt any guilt and she never meant it in a way like that I, you know, it's my fault that I moved out. But it was just such a big part or a huge change in her life, of course, also for me. But for her, it was, yeah, it was mm-hmm. very lonely. Mm-hmm. And I only learned that really fully um, before she died. And, yeah, it's interesting to, I don't know, I guess it goes back to not always being fully aware of your character, like your parents' emotional yeah. landscape
0: at yeah. all the time
1: yeah so yeah but yeah but throughout like my teenage years I, I very much was very proud of her I wasn't like you know embarrassed of her parent or something and I I was a weird child I preferred to like just come home to her and read a book or sit with her on the sofa rather than I don't know hanging out outside with cool girls and boys
0: mm-hmm. And mm-hmm.
1: I was yeah I was very different I think to my peers um but looking back, I'm very happy that I, I had that time yeah. wanting to be with my mother and yeah. learning from her.
0: Yeah. Um, so after school, so when did you graduate and when was she diagnosed? Because it must have been pretty close or no? Um,
1: no, it was, well, I, I graduated when I was 21, and then I did a master's, so I guess I was 23. Um, when I was fully done and then I actually changed career paths again I went into interior design for a few years um, and it was actually all interesting timing because I decided to to um, yeah I'm just thinking about the times so, yeah it was 2014 I decided to leave my job and start Window Workshop and it was two months after I launched it that my mom was diagnosed um, with cancer and it, it's it was kind of a, a blessing that I'd left my job because it gave me such independence and you know I, I was able to just be with her because I didn't have to be in an office um, every day and so in a way that was really yeah an interesting timing of things that I, I was able to be with her as much as I
0: could. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Um especially because she still lived in in Germany and I um lived in London so I flew over every uh ten days and stayed with her for ten days and oh, kind of
0: wow.
1: yeah it was a very intense year I don't know how looking back I mean I'm still I think I'm also kind of still in a way healing from that year itself, just that year of
0: such a huge
1: shift and change in in everything. And me, my aunt, well, my aunt, she she was amazing. She was, um, well, she was taking care of her full time. And I was kind of there every 10 days to also to take that weight of my aunt and and help her. And, yeah, I literally shared that role with her. And um, so, yeah, we did that for a whole year. Wow. Yeah, looking back, it's very, you know, you're not, you don't expect to suddenly, you know, having to wash your mother and brush your teeth and comb her hair. and All of these things that, yeah, it was very, in a way, it was also so beautiful that I could give back everything, you know, the unconditional love of caring for someone. Mm. Um, That was for me, like a very, I don't know, I was, I guess, a very, it was very beautiful think being able to hold her and be there for
0: her yeah
1: but uh, I mean that's definitely came I don't know if you can hear the screaming child (laughs) sorry it's (laughs) It's not my child but there's a child at the park
0: (laughs) it's okay (laughs) oh
1: god Um,
0: (laughs) it's totally fine
1: (laughs) so yeah it it wasn't like as easy and straightforward that I uh, you know was straight away taking on that role. There was a lot of resistance as well, and kind of you know feeling of like no, but you're my mother. Like I need someone to care for me. I mean, those emotions definitely came yeah. up, but that that you know that had to move and shift quickly because I wanted to be there for her. Yeah, but it yeah. was definitely not as straightforward, easy. Like sure, I'll I'll now wash you and clean. You know, yeah. That that's no, it was a it was a difficult shift and but in the end it was very beautiful and I yeah I'm very happy I was able to do that
0: so what yeah. was oh god <laughs> the screaming it's, it's literally
1: a little girls screaming
0: at a boy it's quite funny I like it, it? <laughs> so ta- <laughs> we're having such like an intense conversation in there I know, <laughs> it's <like laughs> laughing maybe it's whilst, great yeah. you know maybe that's your mom yeah. just making light exactly. of the situation it is,
1: it blood
0: curly girl <laughs> when had um so tell me about the diagnosis process what did like what was she experiencing that she decided to go in to have to be checked out or was it like an annual checkup or what happened um
1: well we'd been to Sri Lanka so we used to go quite well not quite a lot but we went there quite a few times as my mother was also a naturopath and and she loved learning from ayurvedic doctors and i mean that's also the whole kind of backstory to how i started my business but mm-hmm. um we were doing a panchakarma which is like an mm. ayurvedic cleanse and it takes like three weeks and it's really intense but amazing and the ayurvedic doctor kept saying to my mother that she was very fragile and my mom being very stubborn and strong was like what's she on about like I'm very strong and like I'm fit and my mom was super fit definitely Mm. more fit than me she would do yoga every day and super flexible and she would cycle every day like two hours to work through the forest wow um so for her to someone say that she was fragile and her body was kind of nearly, I think, an insult to her. You know, she's very proud of her strengths and her health. Um, But it was, yeah, of course, that kind of, you know, we were both a bit confused that the doctor kept saying that. And she said, oh, when you're back in Germany, I'd recommend you just go and and see um, a gynecologist. And my mom was still very confused about that. But I guess, yeah, the, the doctor in Sri Lanka knew there was something not right. And maybe didn't I don't know didn't want to say or just felt like she should go to her normal doctor back in Germany to have like a proper checkup and that's um, what my mom did and yeah and that's when the diagnosis came Um, so yeah it was it was just a huge shock and I think the main thing that both of us we we just thought it was some you know inconvenience for like temporary inconvenience like Mm. I'll just take care of it and then it's all fine and I think we fought like this for the whole year, even though she was in a wheelchair and and you know she couldn't get up to go to the toilet or anything. Like we still thought, oh, it's fine, you know. In a few months' time, it's all back to
0: normal. Wow.
1: And in a way, I think because sometimes I look back and I think I don't have many guilt feelings, but the only guilt feeling that comes up is that I never talked to her about death. I never tried to like bring up the topic to really be okay this is a this is a possibility that you are going to die and of course that was it came out of my own protection for my mm-hmm. own fear of it mm-hmm. and I think we dealt with it in that way in a beautiful way that we were very we were so full of hope and um also the way we were with each other was still very normal like we would still like bicker about stuff or like you know it wasn't all like mm-hmm. oh mm-hmm. I mean, she's a saint I'm gonna mm-hmm. be like extra tiptoeing around no we were still very much you know when she wasn't because some days she would just sleep a lot but when she was fully awake we'd have our usual conversations or arguments and in a way that was also beautiful because we, we you know we were just ourselves but yeah the feeling of guilt really does come back that I didn't help her to
0: mm. talk about
1: the fear she had around death she didn't want to hear anything about mm-hmm. death or
0: mm-hmm. any
1: books or films that either she was reading or watching and she would be, I'll turn it off or, you know, like,
0: wow.
1: And that's the only thing I feel sad about that. I never took away that, that fear. And until the moment she died, like she, she died in my arms, she was still so afraid of it. And yeah. So that's something I, I, that's the only thing I'm like, okay, I wish I'd spoken about it. And I'm now very much, I talk about death a lot and I'm very, you know, I'm not afraid of it, but I'm aware that others are. And yeah, I wish I could have taken that away from her—that fear. But,
0: so, yeah. what was her, what was her? It was breast cancer, right? Like yeah. to start, and then and then it metastasized. Yeah. Exactly. Okay.
1: To the, yeah, the liver and her lymph, lymphatic system. Okay. And yeah.
0: And when you say so, what were the last like? What were the last couple of months like? You say that she did she, she literally died in your arms. Yeah, um, oh so
1: the incredible thing was, again, I think this shows the power of the mind and maybe other things, but she so she died in January and she was diagnosed the year before, um, but we said we wanted to go to Lanzarote for um, uh, Christmas, and whoever we told that, they were like okay you're crazy like your mom's in a wheelchair she can hardly move um you know she, she can hardly even eat herself like she, you know she can hardly swallow but the nearer we were getting to Christmas the better my mom was suddenly getting like she was starting to get up herself again and and you know she was becoming more positive and Um, I mean, there were other things like she was also taking um, cannabis oil and, you know, a lot of things we did alongside her treatment that were making her feel better as well. But it was definitely, I think, so much to do with the mind that she knew she wanted to go to Lanzarote with the family and celebrate Christmas. And, you know, she was practicing every day, standing up and walking. Um, So, yeah, I think Mind played such a massive part in it that you know we went to Lancerity. i don't know how we did it, wow. but um you know of course she still we, we took a wheelchair and everything which is also such a like when i look back I'm like wow my mom's in a wheelchair it's such a weird i'll never forget like being you know at the airports they have like a separate part for yeah people in a wheelchair and you know I never thought about that this whole part of an airplane and I was suddenly there with my mom being like driven in, in in the special van to get on the plane first and um yeah it's such a if I look back it's also so intense like how fragile she was actually in this whole process yet I was also so blind to it like just how yeah how weak she was really mm. but she was so optimistic and yeah, we had a most beautiful time in Lanzarote, and um, it was then. Yeah, it was a month after that that she passed away, and yeah, back in, in Germany. Was, Were you back in
0: Germany? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, and and yeah, it just suddenly it was very like I so like I said I, I went over every ten days, and this time I'd only gone back to London for. A few days because I mean I was running a startup so mm-hmm. it was kind of like mm-hmm. oh I need to do some things back in London and I'd only gone away for three days and come back and it was yeah it was when I look back she kind of I think waited for me because when I arrived she's like oh you're finally here and I remember saying like yeah I, I mean I was here three days ago you should be away for 10 days like you know it's still fine and then I realized that, I guess, she already started the process of dying. Like I, I mean, I've read a lot about this, that, you know, of course, people can die instantly when they have, say, a heart attack or an accident, but for terminal illness or when you're old, you are re- really going through a process of dying, mm. and she really started that, and she became, I mean, she grew up very religious and um, Catholic, uh, but throughout my whole childhood and upbringing she was very like no like she was very against it and it you know it wasn't part of her mm-hmm. life but the last few days suddenly she started talking so much about religion and god and and um she had like a little maria
0: um wow uh,
1: things she suddenly wanted me to find and put next to her bed i was a bit confused i mean of course i did it all but it was just so interesting to see how she was yeah kind of returning to her belief or God. And and also she suddenly started, like, because every night um, she would wake up a few times and she would have a little bell to wake me up to help her mm-hmm. to get to the toilet. Mm-hmm. And it was very weird that night. She, she was, like, ringing the bell and she just kept saying her mother's name and, like, asking for her mother. Wow. And I didn't know what was going on and I was obviously a bit scared but i don't know i a very like i don't know maybe it's my like i said it's this protection of my own fear i was very like okay yep your mom she's the an angel above you like okay like talk to her but i'm mm-hmm. just gonna help you now okay mm-hmm. and she was very not present with me um uh, but with yeah whatever she was seeing around her and and the next morning, she was still fine. And like, if I look back, it's such a weird day because she said that her blanket was too heavy suddenly. And I was like, okay, well, um, you're very cold, so you need a big blanket. But I went to town to find, like, the lightest, bestest blanket. That, you know, I don't know, special. I don't even know. I spent hours mm-hmm, in the mm-hmm. shop trying to find the best, like, duvet cover for her, like, blanket. And, um when I got home she asked me to sit with her and again that was something she never really did because she's just like oh go and work in the other room and I'll call you if I need anything and that's really when kind of four hours of of leaving well herself I guess her body really started and um yeah it was it was in a way very beautiful because it was just we didn't really say much we just held hands and she was in and out of like consciousness and would just say how much she loved me and I was still not aware that she was Mm. dying I mean looking back and it like the daily nurse would come like around the afternoon time and that was the biggest kind of shock for me because the nurse said oh your mum is dying and I was alone with her and and I was so upset with the nurse because I started crying and the nurse I mean I can't blame Blame her? In a way, I did blame her. She didn't like hug me or anything. She just said, "Yeah, she's dying. Like, here's some morphine. Give it to her if she looks like she's in pain." And that was kind oh of my it. God. And I was left alone with my mom, and I was just like, "What?
0: What oh is my happening?" God.
1: And I called my aunt. Like, I think my mom's dying, and she came home straight away. And the moment my aunt got home, and my mom just let go, and, and yeah, passed away. And yeah, so that was. That was that those 24 hours that I feel like she was really, yeah, going through the process of starting to die. And um, and also that's the moment where I wish I could have helped her being not scared about it just because I didn't realize it myself at that time. Because um, if I, like, I asked her, like, what do you need? And I meant more like, or I said, what do you want? And I meant more like, what do you want to, do you want to eat something or drink something? And all she kept saying is like, I want to be better. And, that for me was so heartbreaking that she still in those last few hours wasn't able to accept that she was dying and yeah I think that's what um, I struggled with the most was like I said earlier like not necessarily guilt but just sadness that I couldn't you know calm her in that way or talk about it
0: um but yeah that's
1: my biggest lesson from
0: that yeah I think I, need a mo- I think I need a moment. <laughs> I'm literally crying over here. No. That is so, oh my God, we never got into like, I, I just have never gotten into like those details with you. Of course, I I'm, I imagine you wouldn't really with many people, but.
1: Um, no, I mean, I'm very, like I want to, always, in a way, share
0: it because it was such a, I and mean, of it's course, so it's probably the most profound
1: it, the, yeah the most profound moment of my life and it's just so interesting to to observe all these emotions from yeah still totally not being aware of what was going on and on the other hand obviously seeing all the signals and also how beautiful it was that her way of returning to her mother like like I said like she kept calling out for her mother mm-hmm. in the process of because, yeah, her mother is obviously... Well, not obviously, but she died many years ago. Yeah. Um, so it was so beautiful in that way. And, um, yeah, and also the moments afterwards, like, I I wasn't scared of her dead body, uh, whereas everyone in my family, because then my cousin and her husband came and they tried to, like, take me away from my mom. And they are wow. like, no, 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 you shouldn't sit with her. But I, I, was, I, was, I was like, of course I'm going to sit with her. I mean, it wasn't like that her soul was necessarily still in her body, but I still wanted to you know be
0: mm-hmm. with her body mm-hmm. and be mm-hmm. with what I
1: knew as my mother,
0: Wow,
1: and yeah, and it was, yeah, it was yeah, it's so interesting yet to just see how different you know my aunt couldn't be in their room anymore, and neither my cousin and I just kind of really wanted that, and mm-hmm. it's yeah. Uh, I guess in some cultures as well, they, they, they leave that body in the house for a while until people have said goodbye. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Whereas,
1: yeah, she was, I mean, you know, next morning she was basically taken away and I found that really hard to have her go already.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. So what was, so what was the process after that? Like where were, so they took her body the next day? yeah and what was what did you do like where what were you doing where were you when did you go back to London like what was that whole what was that whole process
1: um I think I definitely was in a shock state I mean most definitely I I was kind of the one that was you know of course I was crying uncontrollably but I also I remember like the next day I was doing accounting for my business. I was Mm -hmm. like um, scheduling meetings for the week I'd be back in London. And um, I was, I I went, well, I think that was just also like, we didn't just want to sit at home. Like we drove to town and went for lunch with my aunt and my cousin and we, but we just fully openly cried in this cafe. If I look back, I have to say, Oh my God, you know, we're just sitting there in tears and tears. Like at one moment laughing, the other moment just crying so loud. I mean, if I like it was at lunchtime, it was busy. <laughs> if I look back, I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> but we, yeah, no one tells you what is normal or what you're meant to do. Like we were just, yeah, obviously so lost and confused and. I mean, I definitely like took on the like the, the the organizing role. Like, I I you know had to organize her cremation and all the paperwork and like canceling like pension. Like, I, I don't know. I was yeah. fully in this mode of of taking care of it all. And you know, I, I, even two weeks afterwards, I already. Like, I emptied out the house. I don't know how it, like, if I had to do this today, I would break. Like, I think I was in such a, like, in such a, yeah, protective shock mode that I was just, you know, I was working like a robot doing it all. And because I, I was alone as an only child and, you know, without a, my mom didn't have a partner or anything. So mm-hmm. it was really kind of up to me to organize all these ridiculous bureaucracies and I mean those things took years like even for her to like you know you think it makes sense that I'm the the only one who would um you know would inherit her her a bit of money or you know like her things um, yet that was like an impossible process so there were these awful things I had to like fight through to like even even like receive you know some of her things and that was all because my apparently then I found out my parents never officially married and never officially divorced so mm. on paper my dad was still the one who would be getting everything and that was just so confusing and difficult because well, my parents they basically they got married in Russia in a hotel alley or not alley it's a hallway <laughs> with a <laughs> Canadian priest <laughs> um was, they were drunk and vodka so the only thing they had was this hand scribbled note saying they were married, and I don't know how the Australian government saw that as official uh, document. Um, so yeah, anyway, that was just so complicated, and I remember even trying to get hold of this Canadian priest, and based on this like tiny note, and uh, anyway, it was it was just a, and that's when there was a nightmare, but it was so typical of my funny family of like yeah. Getting married mm-hmm. in Russia, mm-hmm. and
0: um,
1: then figuring out how to explain that to to the German um, bureaucracies because they're like, well, she she's written down as like divorced in in the documents, so we need to prove of of marriage certificate and divorce certificate. And anyway, it was a, like a one and a half year journey to figure that out, and wow. eventually it all worked out. But yeah, anyway, so that was just like on top of the actual obviously a huge emotional side to actually you know be practical and do these things and organise I organised the most beautiful ceremony for her Mm. and that's still to this day which I think sometimes when I say it I feel nearly guilty for saying but it was one of the most beautiful days of my life having all her friends and family Mm. and my friends together in in her favourite place in England and it was always like I instantly knew where I wanted to hold this ceremony as well because she always said the moment she's better like when she's healed from the cancer she wants to like run through these fields with my aunt and me and holding hands and just being happy and for me that was always like yeah of course you're going to do that but I think yeah the moment she died I knew that is really where yeah she belonged and like that's where we scattered her ashes and in a way it was so beautiful to just know what to do because obviously we never talked about any of this
0: um
1: and it just felt right and yeah with that that was just a beautiful beautiful day and yeah I think that's where I started to melt (laughs) I mean that's Mm. how my therapist back then said I was kind of in an
0: ice age (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) until how long was that that after she died um, five months, four Okay. Months. So you had like the five, the four or five months to like get all your, like be kind of distracted by all everything. And yeah, then exactly. And then...
1: I was so, like I did everything and I was back working in London. And, um, yeah, it was only, yeah, it, was, it took four months to really where I was like, oh my God, this is real. And that's really when I think the whole process fully started, um, of what, you know, griefing and figuring that out and seeing that as a massive part of my life like still every day it's it's yeah it's part of who i am and and still learning from that
0: mm-hmm. and
1: like really seeing it as something that isn't as linear or, you know, it's not something that will go away or, you know, I have some friends who say, oh, is, is that still happening? Like, are you still grieving? Or that, you know, mm. it's like, which, you know, like, yeah, fair enough. But it's like, no, I mean, this is there forever. And that—that yeah. that is, I think, something I only really, I guess, started to understand whilst I was, well, whilst I'm going through it, that it's there forever. And you just build, you kind of just build up life around it, and it just finds
0: what does it, it? Is What it. does it look like for you? Like, does it? How does it show up for you? Um,
1: it's. I've noticed that I. I well, I've learned many things through doing kind of. Um, I, I, I went to a lot of um, group sessions of, of people who'd lost loved ones, and through that, I've really learned to understand myself through this as well because I think I'm very much a control freak mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and a perfectionist because in in these groups I would never really cry I was very like you know controlled about it and it's as if I I I really like, I know I have to take or make space for it. Like I said, you know, I went six weeks to my yoga where I would go for two weeks to a cottage in France and just sit there and kind of cry. And then, like, I really, mm. I, I, I have to always remind myself when I notice I'm getting kind of, not burned out, but when I, you know, do too much with my businesses or, like, do too many social things that I have to create space for the grief and... And it's so important because if I don't, I know it will It will go, you know, it will kind of go downhill. I'll become like, frustrated. I, I become angry and I become, mm. well, just not content. And when I have taken or made that space for myself to grief, I, I feel so much better. And, of course, like it's like facing the pain. But in a way, it's also like I've really, I've learned to appreciate that pain and the sadness like I fully kind of surrender to it and 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 let it be with me and in a way yeah it's hard to explain like through that I can just see so much beauty in the moments that I'm happy and I feel like the extreme like the extreme of happiness is so intense like
0: Mm -hmm. compared to Mm -hmm.
1: to how it used to feel Mm -hmm. happiness like happiness happiness was I don't know like just whatever any day like fun things but I never truly felt that that you know when when I feel happy now and I'm in nature or something it's like magic Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's hard to describe but yeah it just kind of makes the feelings more like of happiness more intense and of course the sadness as well but that's why I kind of have to create space for it and sort of sit through that and it's like I'm sitting through like a week of healing in a way Mm -hmm. and yeah so yeah it's how I live with it is really yeah making space for it and it's also hard like living with a, with you know with your boyfriend and running a business together to take that time because yeah it doesn't just there's no everyday where I'm like okay I'm yeah. going to sit in my yeah. you know, and just cry now yeah. of course that would be totally fine but i really have to yeah
0: make I imagine space for it. I imagine it takes a, a certain <laughs> amount of self awareness as i suppose everything does but I can imagine that it would easily creep up on you in the ways that you said, like it comes out if you're burnt out or anger or whatever that is, in order for you to be able to like have the awareness to point it towards what it actually is versus like taking it out on your boyfriend (laughs) or something. Yeah,
1: exactly. And that's so important. And I think we noticed as as a couple where we're like, okay, maybe I'm well, I don't know, it's not overreacting, because I'd like to say it's just, you know, my feelings. But I feel like, okay, okay, I think I need I need this space, I need time, and I'll either even just go away for a day to nature or where my mum's ashes were scattered. Like, I, I'll go there, and, and it's just such a reset. Mm. It's so,
0: you
1: know, any worry, whether it's business or, or a person, like, or a relationship, like, all of that just goes, and you just, you know, I don't know, it, it's in one way, like, nature is yeah, being the best healer throughout all of this and just being alone in it and not taking my phone. And, I mean, that's the other thing. Like, my phone is the biggest distractor of it all. Yeah, yeah. I think for most people, but I notice it. Like, if I – because some weekends where my boyfriend's going out, like, cycling for a whole day or something, I'm like, oh, you know, today I could take time to, you know, just be and, like, see what comes up with my feelings – And then I notice I'm just on my phone and I'm like, oh, wow, I've totally avoided this. Like, it's so easy to avoid facing the pain and, Mm -hmm. yeah, Mm
0: -hmm. that's why I'm
1: more radical about it than just go to nature about my phone and,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: yeah, there's no escape in that. And I think that's really important. But, of course, also sometimes we just don't want to see the pain and I think that's okay as well. Maybe, you know, it's, yeah.
0: And what do you do yeah. for yourself now? Like, do you have any? Do you have any daily rituals? Like, what do you do to keep yourself kind of in that space of awareness? I guess it's less about like a, you address the grief as it comes, but like there is a certain amount of again that self awareness that's required. Like, what do you do for yourself to um, stay kind of in in your flow? I suppose. Um, yes,
1: definitely. Still like taking. Even well, like when I wake up I I don't look at my phone until like, I don't know, at least one or well, say one and a half hours maximum. So it's always hard. Well, mm-hmm. sometimes it's harder than than um to just yeah, sit with my thoughts for the day or week ahead and journal, meditate. I mean meditate meditation really took me It took two years after my mom died to be able to meditate again. Mm -hmm. It was really so confrontational to meditate. Like, it was so...
0: Interesting.
1: Like, the moment I would sit down to meditate, I would just well up in tears and cry. And, like, I was like, I can't do this every day. Like, I just... I can't start my day like this. And, yeah, in a way that was maybe, again, like, avoidance. But I was very aware that, yeah... I don't know I just couldn't meditate yeah you had to like um,
0: compartmentalize a little bit
1: yeah exactly and um, so yeah I put, now I'm back to meditation and I fully enjoy it and I I can see those thoughts and of course like actually yeah, at the moment I meditate I think of my mother mostly or like I, I feel her and that is in a way now beautiful to be with her in that space and that's only possible when I don't have my phone around and like Tom, my boyfriend, kind of knows like in the morning I just like to be in the bedroom for a while by myself. And um, so, yeah, it's important that I just have that kind of refuge, like that room that I can be in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's very much part of, maybe not every day, but definitely like every other day It's part of my, my ritual of, yeah, just being with myself and my thoughts.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And,
1: um, yeah, and then things like... Obviously, going to yoga, which I haven't done in a while because of lockdown, mm-hmm. Corona. But um, that for me was always, I don't know if it was just more um, like a, a mental thing. is that My yoga class was every Tuesday evening. And that's like my mum died on a Tuesday evening. And it was the yoga class was always mm. from six till seven is when she died. And for me, that yoga class, like I... I I never know whether it was just it's the teacher or that space or that day it's that yoga class every Tuesday for me was like I cried the whole I never cry in yoga but only in that class
0: mm. like for me, it was
1: such a ritual of healing like I would go through I mean it sounds maybe also a bit annoying but every time in my head I would go through how she died in and in a way because it was so beautiful for her you know like well not for her but like how she was holding me and saying how much she loved me. For me, that was just such a, yeah. Obviously, it's the the hardest and kind of, I don't like to say the word, the worst moment in my life, but it was such a profound moment that I do repeat that moment many times in my mind. Mm. For me, yeah, the Tuesday evening ritual kind of went on until, yeah, just until lockdown, really. And I really want to get back into... I think they're back up in the yoga studio. I'm going to go back. And um, yeah, I mean, I think the teacher, I never really fully spoke to her, but she always sees me crying. I think there's some kind of understanding. That yeah, yeah, yeah. I just yeah. need her class. And,
0: yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that's I definitely missed
1: that a lot.
0: So before we jump into Wonder Workshop and whatnot, we, I had left you a message to discuss because uh, part of the series of. Um, part of season, uh, part of series two is kind of talking about or telling the stories of these women, and we hadn't actually discussed. We, I don't think we did no. anyway. Was it was it your mom that you wanted to to talk, to talk about? Yeah, which um, we've done essentially. But is there like, yeah. do you want? What, I mean, what what was her name? Like, is there anything else you want to you want to talk uh, or tell about her?
1: Yeah, I guess that the. the, the the, well, not the question, but how you put it for me it was such a interesting. Yeah, it, it really brought me into this whole whirlwind of thinking about mothers and, and grandmothers and their stories, and mm. how even though I mean my mum, so her name is Emmy, um, how we were so close and were just like more than mother and daughter. We were way, I guess, soulmates as well. Or like, I don't know. We were just so connected, yet after she died, I I really started learning so much about her that I never fully knew, like, nothing, like, you know, nothing that she tried to keep from me or anything, but just I've always seen her as my mother, like my number one caretaker, my guide through anything that I was struggling with. But I never fully, you know, I never lived through her stories fully like of course she would tell stories for her youth or childhood or you know her relationships but only afterwards I started to like you know I had a lot of her diaries or a lot of um, letters that she wrote to her mother that my grandmother had kept and well that were still my mom's boxes like you know I, I was suddenly reading so much about her life and her inner emotional world as a as a young adult and in her 20s and 30s that i've kind of you know i have such so much more respect constantly for for mothers that that have so much unconditional love for their children in most cases and are there for them for everything whereas they often carry so much of their own pain and grief that they kind of put away whilst being there for Mm. for their children and for me that was just you know um, yeah there were so many unpleasant things in her life and and things or things about my dad that she never really neg- she never really negatively spoke about my dad and yet there was so much pain and grief from her side that that she never really fully told me and i think it's so important to to yeah like get to know our mothers or our grandmothers fully because we obviously also carry so much of their I think we carry a lot of their traumas and grief yeah, within us yeah, yeah, and it's just like at the moment a, a family friend she's unfortunately very very ill and she has two teenage daughters and she started to um, ask all of, like, well, all of us and friends and family to write down favourite memories or stories about her throughout her life so her teenage will have like beautiful memories about their mm, mother
0: wow. from
1: like a different perspective and I think that's what I'm trying to say about my, mo- my mother's story is is yeah it's still constantly I'm learning her story and because my mother had me so late she was 40 um I'm now kind of Living is I feel like a parallel life to her that, you know, I'm thinking, Oh, what did she do when she was thirty one? Or
0: like mm. or I
1: find books where she wrote the date and that she bought the book and I realized, oh my god, we're the same age reading the same book
0: and Wow.
1: Yeah, or like reading letters when she was she travelled the whole world. Like she lived in Tahiti and I don't know where else. Like, I'm reading her letters to her mother about her experiences and feelings or confusions about relationships, and I'm learning so much about her from, yeah, her as this full Emmy being, not just as my mother, who was an amazing mother. And, yeah, for me, that question that you asked was more, yeah, about the stories that our mothers carry and kind of selflessly sometimes I think put away to be there fully as like a. A happy mother, <laughs> ready to you know look after you, but actually carry so much pain themselves sometimes, and yeah, that for me is like a big, still constant lesson and journey. And yeah,
0: yeah, I love that you brought that up because I think that clearly this episode so much is about like mother daughter between the two of you, but for you to kind of just create that little container for anyone else who's listening to kind of ponder that, um, the idea of of our parents being someone else besides our parent because exactly, yeah. I know that I have, you know, over the past few years have been doing all the seeking that I do and like digging into my own traumas and found myself being so angry with my mom, um, yeah. for a little while, even though and everything that happened was complete, like not intention, you know, emotional yeah. trauma is tricky. It's very nuanced, but, um, yeah. But it, it, it like there was a period of time, and, and I had to go through what I was going through. Of course, you know, processing, uh, um, processing my own feelings. But uh, there's been this huge kind of sort of uh, moment uh, for the two of us actually to like really sit down and actually kind of get to know each other in a deeper way through, yeah, through it exactly. and yeah. but it was easier for me to be met to be angry with her you know and so I know a lot of people are going through that kind of similar process or who have hard feelings towards a mother or especially the mother-daughter relationship is like so sacred and is and is yeah, yeah. very intense and and like you said as women we're, we, we do inherit the traumas of of our lineage so for us to be able to acknowledge that um our parents are just humans i think is is really important
1: exactly yeah so yeah it's it's definitely a no it's a nice reminder when you ask the question with us like yeah this is actually what i'm i think constantly doing like i said reading her things or reading books at the same time realizing this yeah fuller picture of our parents
0: yeah yeah so let's talk about now shifting gears a little bit. I just want to like we don't have to go too deep into it, but I want to talk a bit about your companies because um, yes. because I think they're wonderful. So you so Zoe founded Wonder Workshop. Uh, okay. Which go explain what Wonder Workshop is exactly.
1: Um, well, it's constantly evolving, but it really started off as the turmeric brand in the mm-hmm. sense that we mainly focused on turmeric, and we really mainly focus on using beautiful plant ingredients that are sourced in a very specific way. Like we we work with farm farmer communities in mainly Sri Lanka, but we've expanded a little bit. But um, it's very specific farms that use um, a farming technique called forest gardening which I guess one can call regenerative farming and is very much linked to permaculture and also a bit of um, biodynamic farming, like Rudolf Steiner's principles. So it's kind of a way of farming that everything is connected with each other. Like um, the turmeric is growing in the shade of a cacao tree or the vanilla trees, and it's next to ginger and um, black pepper. And it's really important to kind of maintain this natural biodiversity. And so, yeah, we really try to source ingredients that are grown in this way, because that's kind of the only way that we can maintain a healthy soil.
0: And um,
1: I'm very much into soil health, um, I think uh, I think some people follow me on in Instagram now. Talk about pesticides and um, uh, how important it is to grow things organically. But it's kind of going beyond organic because even organic can be done on like massive scales and like monocultural ways, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that is still depleting the soil of its like healthy minerals and vitamins that it needs to also kind of absorb carbon um because yeah a healthy soil can really absorb a lot of carbon
0: mm. so yeah that's
1: kind of i think it's yeah our business has really turned into also speaking a lot about this and not just how wonderful all these beautiful herbs and and plant medicines are but also how important it is really how they are grown and sourced um so yeah that's kind of what we focus on and then we make yeah lots of beautiful products of that whether it's adaptogenic plants or mushrooms or um, golden milk and also our turmeric cbd oil so yeah just a lot of plant magic but sourced in very yeah well, mm-hmm. I, I don't like the word sustainable per se but yeah it's yeah it's probably one of the most <laughs> sustainable ways um and yeah, we also just started working with um, United Nations Ethical Fashion Initiatives and we've set up um, um, like a trade route from Afghanistan and we, we source a beautiful saffron from a farm there in Herat. And um, that's also kind of a way of, the, of course, the farming technique really matters, but it also obviously matters that that people are paid fairly and mm-hmm. that women are able to have an income and um, so that's a really exciting new product project and product that we started working on. and um, yeah, so there are lots of initiatives that we also support, like in Sri Lanka, we support a beautiful social enterprise called AMA, and they um, employ women and kind of teach them to to create natural dyes and are weaving beautiful cotton fabrics, um, which we use for like packing our CBD oils and um but yeah there's lots of things that we're kind of doing I'm trying to kind of not rush through it but yeah it's a it's kind of a holistic approach to just kind of my own personal values and yeah
0: yeah
1: yeah and my mum's, I guess it's really obviously comes from there and that's also kind of how I decided to start it was very much I realized I wasn't fully doing what was I mean saying my purpose is obviously a big word purpose, but I do really feel like this is my purpose wow. um and realizing that when I was yeah twenty five twenty six that I wasn't doing what I truly love, and I realized something that was always part of me was herbs and and plant medicine and botanicals and you know foraging and organic food and matter like organic soil mm-hmm. and really suddenly having that realization that led me to yeah started business with this. <laughs> and
0: um yeah no, amazing beautiful you guys have done yeah. really well with it too is it um and it's all over the uk and you can get it pretty much in any major grocery store right and from your website and yeah yeah um, and is it in the u.s
1: yeah um we were more so a few years ago but i think if you lose focus, like it's such a big market, mm. we were, we were really focused on it, and then it just became too much to like try and be there because it's just two of us doing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we have a lot of online customers in the US, but no stockers, I think, at the okay.
0: moment. Okay.
1: I think, although I think Netoporta US.
0: Has it. Oh, amazing.
1: I'm I'm, I'm
0: very bad with my stuff. I'm like, oh, who (laughs) has (laughs) it? That's fine. (laughs) The point is, is that anyone can get get it online, right? Yes. Which is amazing because it really is, like, as I was saying at the beginning of the episode, I mean, I would trust anything that you put out there. Oh, thank you, yeah. So, yeah, the the chaga is my one of my favorites. The one you Yeah, having. that's the one. So actually, can you talk about mushrooms for a second? Because I know that you're like mushroom queen lady. But and so, and since I posted my story, and I don't, I hardly know anything about mushrooms. But I've been kind of like dabbling around, watching documentaries and <laughs> learning about the. Um, we don't have to go in. Let's more talk about like the benefits perhaps even from a mental health perspective um, or just, just any like general health um, perspective of, of mushrooms. If you, if you feel okay to do that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I hardly make like medical claims, but um, it's, it's just been. I, I mean, like I said, everything that we create comes from like a personal journey. And as a student or when I was at university, I didn't, really enjoy going to festivals and taking drugs and alcohol. So I would make um, little um, powder blends of, of cordyceps and reishi mushrooms. And these are totally legal. These are not the psilocybin, the ones that, um, you know, are not fully legal. Right. But I think They're not psychedelic. Right. Not exactly. Um, but, yeah, I would just have these mushrooms always kind of with me to have, like, longer energy without feeling like you know when you have coffee or something that you're like crashing but Mm -hmm. kind of just this endured sense of yeah energy and I guess like cordyceps especially especially has been used by a lot of athletes in China and um it's yeah mainly known for endurance and stamina and I, I really yeah from a personal journey I fully really enjoyed these mushrooms and reishi is incredible for like immunomodulating same as chaga so which kind of just helps you if I don't, if you, some people have seasonal allergies
0: um mm. it helps
1: to build up like a natural response to that and, and also obviously like flu season i like think it's yeah they're just very subtle little things that you can take every day in, in either preventative way and obviously if, if there's something more serious you can take higher doses but mm-hmm. obviously also speak to a health professional right 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 right. which ones but as like a daily preventative way for things I think they're just amazing and um yeah they're very much part of my
0: my life Mm. yeah so from there let's talk about essentials because that stemmed from your mother
1: yeah so um that was really like three months before my mother died we were making um, beautiful oils like because my mom was also like a holistic medical um, not beautician but like a holistic therapist and like massage and like skincare like that was like her main her main uh, job I guess mm-hmm. and um, so because she wasn't practicing anymore we had all of her beautiful products and oils and essential oils. So we we kind of started to make beautiful body oils for her that she would use to either like calm down with certain essential oils that would help. And also she started to make um, breast oils to like massage her breasts and kind of more as a a ritual of self-love as well. Like she was, I mean, she was already very, very spiritual, especially the last year she was that she just wanted to, kind of sent really healing, beautiful energy to her breasts and not be, you know, not angry, but, like, disconnected from them or see them as, Mm. like, the cause of the illness. And so she, yeah, we we kind of together made some oils that she would apply every evening on her breasts and kind of as a ritual of self-love. And then we also realized that I'd never checked my breasts in my life before. Like, I never um you know did mm. like a self-checkup so I started using the oil and kind of as a, a way of checking but also I think it's very important to massage your breast to like stimulate the lymphatic flow and like the blood flow and so I really started using it myself and that's I think where then obviously the, the idea stems from and some of my mum's friends who would visit they would they would want to have the oil so we made little bottles and um Yeah, that's where that idea stemmed from for Boob's Essentials was to have an oil to kind of, yeah, get to know your breasts and also as a preventative way of, you know, having a reason to really touch your breasts and getting, like, tune in with them. Mm -hmm. And especially as for, you are in your mid-20s, I was like, wow, yeah, I think none of my friends have, like, checked their breasts. And Mm. um, so, yeah, I kind of really used it as a tool of, yeah speaking about breast health and early like detection of any kind of changes and yeah that's where that came from and it, it's very much a social enterprise like the we we donate money back to to a holistic cancer charity in london um, called Hello Love or Hello Beautiful, um, and um, also um, we have now a um, it's called Grief Bomb. It's very much what it says on the packaging. Grief Bomb. Mm-hmm. Um, it's for um, again like throughout the last few years, I used essential oils to to calm down and in moments where I was very like kind of just I guess anxious about all my like just the grief i would use um uh, Bach flowers. i don't know if you know Bach flowers mm-hmm. they're like flower senses mm-hmm. and things like star of Bethlehem. is very was very important for me it's like helps with trauma and loss so yeah again i was using all these things and i realized it'd be nice to have it in a balm that i can just have it in my bag whenever i feel like i'm getting Anxious about it or sad or overwhelmed by the grief that I have something I can just inhale and smell and and take a moment to massage my pulses with it or even my heart area. And um so yeah, and also in a way like I like even when you know someone I know who's lost someone, I never know what to to buy from for them, you know, as like mm. a little gift. And so I've just started making the grief balm and, giving that to people and
0: that's such a beautiful yeah, gift it's
1: just, yeah yeah I think it's just a nice I mean of course like the bomb's not going to heal your grief but right, it's just such right, a nice right. little yeah just a reminder again to take a moment to to just be and and let those feelings come and go and yeah, yeah I think hopefully the bomb helps a little bit for that and yeah that's kind of where that came from. But I wish I had more time to kind of spend uh, working on, on that side of things. And I'm trying. Someday you will. Yeah.
0: Someday <laughs> <Exactly>. you will.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So that is available on where Where can people buy that?
1: Um, It's just Essentials by ZoeLVH.com. Okay. Uh, and,
0: uh, yeah. It's, and you it's, have Instagram accounts, so... So you have your own Instagram, which we'll put in the show notes, which is at Zoe LVH, and then there's yeah.
1: Wonder Workshop. Okay, with a U. <laughs> I want like wonder. No. It's an annoying German word.
0: There.
1: <laughs> I'm still every day. I'm like, oh, I should have just done Wonder. Workshop.
0: Oh, is that a, is that a German word? <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, that's the German spelling of it. Yes. W-U. And, um, okay. It's very confusing. I actually really like it. I addressing. like it. <laughs> oh,
1: okay. Yeah. We get a lot of people going, "Your email bound. I'm like, oh, it's you. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: anyway. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense.
1: And uh, yeah, and then Essentials by Zoe LVH as well.
0: Perfect. Um, yeah. Well, thank you so much. This was honestly such a beautiful yeah. episode. I don't know if I've ever... Cried. Other than my own episode, which I hadn't planned <laughs> to do, yeah, I don't know if I've ever cried during an episode. This was just so, so touching and so, just really beautiful. So, like, no, thank I've, you for
1: giving the space to this as well. Like I, I often struggle with telling it. Well, I want to always tell it, but I always feel. I mean, that's, I think, another whole topic is, like, Mm -hmm. you know, with friends, I'm like, oh, I don't want to be the one who's constantly, like, I'm grieving.
0: Um,
1: So, often, like, it kind of takes a backseat. So, thank you for, yeah, giving it space, and I hope it helps others as well.
0: I hope you enjoyed that episode with Zoe. I have linked all of her information to her personal page, to Wonder Workshop, to um, her body oils, everything that she does, because she's a wonder woman. Um, I've linked all of that in the show notes. So if you want to get in touch with her or buy any of her products, you can find them there. And if you have any feedback for me, please let me know.